Today's scripture reading is John 10, verses 1 to 15. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, probably know me by now. Um, James Duff's my name, and I um, run a church called The Common in Willoughby. And we have a, a connection with this church um, for a number of reasons. Oh, is that better? There's a lot of feedback there, yeah. Lee's probably watching on the internet. They've gone crazy, Lee. They're going, they're wild. Um, no, <laughs> um, we, uh, we're friends with, with the Hinkles and uh, also our church is in the next couple of weeks, just last week we announced that we are most likely going to be joining the Church of Christ as well as a church. So there's another little connection there. I know you guys have got an identity crisis there with the Presbyterian Church of Christ thing. Um, we're not becoming Presbyterian. Um, for all you good Calvinists out there, maybe he's destined us to do it, but um, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I'm an Anglican minister, actually, an ordained Anglican minister, and I just can't be bothered going and getting all the training again. Um, so um, anyway, there we go. That's what I do. That's how I know the Hinkles, and that's why I'm here. And next week, Lee's preaching at our church, and um, I'm going on a holiday with my family, which will be nice. So and here we are. Good to have the Bibles open, all that reading in front of you there as we look at this together and we ask God now just through his Holy Spirit to bring to life uh, his living active word uh, to change and melt our hearts to love him and to see more of his glory. Uh, I wonder how many of you this week, just this morning, uh, feel trapped, 
trapped by life, trapped by the cards that may have been dealt to you in your life. Maybe that's a consequence of some poor decisions, even some wrong decisions, maybe even some sinful decisions. And there are still you're still bearing the consequences of those decisions today. I wonder how many of you, maybe just this morning, are feeling that you just like the real you to sort of break free. Just to, to throw off the shackles uh, that may be holding you back and the expectations of others and what society's put on you. You feel like you just want to be free just to fulfil the desires that you've got and the dreams that you have for your life. I wonder how many of you feel like that this morning. Maybe for some of you, you're getting old. Um, It is a bit funny, but uh, it's sort of true, isn't it? We all are. Um, And your days are are getting closer to ending. Things are shutting down. The grandkids are off the rails. So the kids, actually, (laughs) they've been off the rails for a while, and you just praying and hoping they just get back on track so maybe this this life that you've lived maybe there'll be a legacy that it's actually just been worth living and maybe you feel as if your jobs or your physical appearance or your lack of intelligence or your lack of money are holding the real you back maybe it's your lack of social skills lack of the right partner or even a lack of friends that's holding the real you back Maybe it's your family and your kids that are holding you back, holding back the real you. Maybe it's your mental health that's just smothering you. Or maybe it's the abuse that you've suffered or the neglect or even the most tragic, the abandonment that you've been through that's stopping the real you from breaking free and realising these desires and dreams that are in your heart. Well, this morning I want to point out one of the reasons, just one of the reasons you may feel like that, why you feel that you're trapped, is because there's a cultural narrative that plays out that tells you and me that the real you is being held back. And if we could just throw off the things that are hampering the real us coming out, the true freedom will be attained, desires and dreams will be achieved. But this cultural narrative that's been going on now for decades, but really is gathering steam in the last couple, uh, goes even further. It tells us that our desires and dreams and what we feel on the inside is the most important thing. And it must be fulfilled Everything must come into submission to your desires for the real you to break free. Everything must bow down before the real you. And what Jesus teaches in today's reading is the antithesis of this cultural narrative. For Jesus says he makes the call on who you are. And it's his voice, it's his calling that brings life and life to the full. And my dear Jane, my wife, some of you know her, 
Um, she's a legend and uh, she's very funny. And at our home, when I or one of our boys, we've got three boys, ask for something, Jane has this funny voice and, and an answer to when we ask for things. Often she will say, you do you, babe, All right, in a funny voice. It's hilarious. And what she's mocking at one level, um, but also at another, is affirming this narrative, this cultural nar- narrative idea that you must have um, everything that you desire. Don't let anything hold you back. You do you, babe, narrative. That's what I want to call it from now on. Okay? I'm going to refer to it as that as we go on. The you do you, babe, cultural narrative. And at the essence of the you do you, babe, narrative is captured in every Disney movie over the last 20 years, if you've watched any of them. They are good at it. Actually, probably best um, encapsulated and enshrined in the movie Frozen. If you've seen that movie, for adults and you've got young kids, I'm about to make your ears bleed one more time. Because in it, there's a song by a girl called Let It Go. I think it's actually being played at the moment as some... um, uh, is it Disney on Ice or something? Yeah, Crown or something. Apparently, apparently it's fantastic. Worst movie you're ever going to see, so don't go. But anyway, <laughs> it, it is entertaining, and we've watched it many times. There, but there's this song in it by the main actress called Let It Go. I'm going to sing it for you. <laughs> I, I've never led music, and the minister... I don't know why people say that. And now's my time. Lee's not here. Let it go, let it go, that'll do. Let it go. I should just let that go. I should take my own advice. This song, Let It Go, sung by the girl who's determined no longer to be defined by her family or society as the good girl. Instead, she should just let it go. Let it go and express what's really been holding her back inside. She's doing the you-do-you-babe narrative, but to be free to be the real her. Now, let's be fair. Uh, There is some good in this worldview, in this cultural narrative, because it affirms and it promotes overcoming adversity. Uh, There's no greater story than to hear someone overcome great adversity. We are wired for it. We love it. We desire it. We thirst for it. We love seeing someone throw off the shackles of cultural expectation or family expectation or religious expectations or friends' expectations, whatever it is, and fulfil the great desires. And recently we have seen that in spades if you've watched the Commonwealth Games. I mean, there's no greater story. I find myself crying at that at the Commonwealth Games. So I don't know why. Actually, I probably do. It taps into something bigger. But some, there's some sort of swimmer from, like a, from the desert, some obscure nation who's never swum in anything bigger than a bathtub and all of a sudden there he is lining up against the, the best in the world in the 50 metre swimming and in a pool he's never even swum 50 metres and he swims and he comes last and everyone stands to their feet and cheers and they nearly drown. But they get there. They get there. They overcome Uh, the adversity, they achieve their dreams, the restraints are overcome. And you often hear athletes when they're being interviewed saying things like, you just have to be yourself. 
Don't worry about what other people think. You just go for your dreams. And we're like, yes, awesome. It's the you do you, babe, narrative. Being yourself means that nobody gets to tell you uh, who you are, except for yourself, supposedly. Follow your desires and dreams. But in today's reading, if you've got it there, we see Jesus using this sustained metaphor taken from first century farming where he describes himself as the good shepherd and the door and we are sheep. The way Jesus uses these, these titles of shepherd and door, uh, they, they crash up, they clash up against um, the you-do-you narrative. Instead of being able to define our own identity, Jesus is telling his listeners, and therefore he's telling us this morning, that he and he only determines our identity of who we are. Shepherds in Jesus' day, uh, still the same in many parts of the world, they were known to stand at different spots of a sheep pen and sound out a particular call and the sheep would come out and, and gather around the shepherd. Very different to how we do it in Australia with a kelpie. His job is to scare the sheep. They're actually bred from wolves. This is another sermon. Um, but to, to not kill the sheep but get pretty close, to scare them. That's the job of the kelpie. But here we see the shepherd call out his sheep. Call them. Come follow. And in Jesus' day, and it's still practiced today, you often see sheep, uh, three or four lots of them, herds of them in the one pen overnight and at night a gatekeeper verse 3 is given the role of guarding and stopping just anyone from coming into the pen if someone came to the gate or to the door who's not the shepherd of the sheep the sheep would not respond to the shepherd they don't know his voice they won't come out They'll only respond to the shepherd's particular calling. And Jesus here in this reading describes anyone other than, the sheep, as, other than the shepherd as thieves, robbers and wolves. Pretty strong language. Thieves, robbers and wolves. These three characters are coming to snatch and to, to push away the sheep to get them out on, on their own, to scatter them so they're more vulnerable on their own, away from the rest of the herd. And Jesus is actually probably addressing and referring to the Pharisees here. That's who he's probably talking to. If you look at John 9, he's had a pretty tough time. He's just healed a blind man and been whacked for it by the Pharisees for doing it. They smash him for, him, uh, for it. So he's got these these Pharisees in mind when he's using these terms. This is the religious guys, the good guys who he's actually having a go at. People like me. They scatter the sheep. Yet Jesus is the good shepherd. And he not only calls his sheep, but he calls them each by name. 
It's not a dog whistle. It's not even a general call to an actual group, but each person, each sheep he knows and calls by name. He knows you. He notices you. He calls by name and the sheep know his voice. And not only does he call people, but he calls these sheep, us, so that they'll have life, verse 10, and have it in abundance, abundantly, overflowing. I call you by name, and a call by name brings life. And this is totally opposite of the you do you babe narrative that says life comes from inner desires being fulfilled. This is an external voice, an external call, an external love song by the shepherd for his sheep. So let's delve into more of these weaknesses, these dangers, because they are, and it's important to know of the you do you babe narrative. Because there's hidden assumptions everywhere in that worldview and we're swimming in it. It assumes that we know what's good and right for us. It's a massive assumption. We're sheep. We actually think we know what's right for us. It's a shepherd's job. We don't always know what's good for us. I've had great desires in my life that have caused great damage. I've hurt people. Maybe, maybe I've hurt them for their whole lives. Maybe you've done that as well. I've done it. I've got, I've got power as a minister. I can hurt people easily. I've acted on desires that actually were not right for me and they're not right for others. But often it's not... What's one of the most difficult things is that our deepest desires contradict each other because sometimes we've got three or four going at the one time. I have a great desire to fish and play golf my whole life. That's about all I want to do. Now, someone else can have the common, seriously, please, someone else can have it. I just want to fish and play golf. Simple life. There's a cultural voice saying, maybe, and actually there's a greater voice, and I'll come back to that, telling me what I really desire is my wife and my family, and I do desire to pastor a church. So my point is that our feelings, our, our desires constantly shift, and they'll be different in 10 years, they'll be different in 20 years, they'll be different in 30 years, and they're often in conflict. So which one do we choose? What voice are we listening to? One of the worst things of this you-do-you-babe narrative is it tells us that if you don't attain your dreams and desires, you're a failure. It just seemed just out of reach. Jim Carrey, the comedian and great philosopher, climbed the top of Hollywood. At one stage, he was the highest-paying actor in the world. And he says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever desired 
and dreamed for so they can see that it's not the answer. Sad it takes Jim Carrey for us to listen. So getting our desires can lead to terrible results. Jim Carrey went into depression and anxiety. Just look, if you want to Google him and just have a listen to his story. For a couple of years, he was out of it. Different man now. See, his inner desires didn't ultimately fulfil him. But the you-do-you narrative is also terribly individualistic. It's so self-focused. It demands that all other voices must come under it. Community voices, family voices, like the church, like the Bible, like Jesus himself, are silenced by the you-do-you-babe narrative. All voices must bow to the unsatiable appetite of being the real you. And we'll go to great lengths. I'll go to great lengths to get my desires. Because it's sad, because they can crush you and others in the quest to get them. Maybe it's working ridiculous hours. I'm all for work and I'm all for making more money, that's fine. The family bleeds out. If I could just get the next job, get the next bit of money, get the next raise, whatever it might be. Maybe it's trading in the old wife and the old husband and the, and the kids for the better product. Totally you do you, babe. Narrative. And it's applauded. We just fell in love. Garbage. Sin. You see, the you-do-you narrative is an illusion. Like all lies, it tells some truth. But the truth is, you cannot build an identity from within. It's actually impossible. Even when people say, you do you, babe, and don't worry about what others say, you're building your identity on the person who's just said, you do you, babe, and don't worry about what other people say. Whenever the athlete says, don't worry about what other people say, they're saying it in front of 5,000 adoring fans who are telling them that they're okay and loved. It's actually impossible to build an identity from within. It's always from outside. We need someone from outside to say we are of great worth. And the greater the worth of the person telling us that the more powerful the recognition is to our identity formation. The more powerful the recognition is to our identity. So, maybe, just maybe, instead of having people try and believe and act out this illogical and in the end dangerous worldview of you do you, babe, Maybe our goal is to get people to think just like us. Because Jesus is very useful for that. See, when I became a Christian for the first 10 years of my Christian life, maybe longer, I thought my goal was to get people to think like me because I was right. Drop the mic, walk away. (laughs) If they think like me... 
They are right. If they think like me, they're humble like me, of course, smart like me. Mm. If they were just like me, then I'd be able to build my identity on what they thought of me. Jesus will be very useful for that, getting people to think like me. Because it's true, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's not just saying, I'm a good shepherd, he's actually, that's, I'm God. And when he says, I'm the door, he's saying, I'm the only way to God, I'm the only way to ultimate reality, it's through nothing else, it's me. He's saying that. But if the goal is just to, to get people to, to think like me, I become arrogant and prideful if they do. Or I feel hopeless if they don't. So I bash them up more. See, although the you do you babe narrative is dangerous, maybe it's more dangerous that this narrative that Jesus is useful. Jonathan Edwards defined a, a nominal Christian as one who finds Christ useful. Nominal Christian. While a true Christian is the one who finds Christ beautiful for who he is in himself. See, maybe the you do, you babe narrative is dangerous, but maybe the Jesus useful narrative is worse. Because that's who he's addressing. Remember, he's addressing the Pharisees, us religious guys and girls. See, maybe it's actually worse. Maybe it's really bad. Maybe some of us are more like the Pharisees Jesus refers to as robbers, thieves, wolves. Maybe we're, in more, maybe we're in the most danger of missing it. So what do we do? How do we finish this? What do we do with Jesus who says, I'm the shepherd and I'm the door. What if, what if the one who calls himself the shepherd and the door actually did something that meant it's not our own eternal desires that defines us, nor is it if we get people to think like us that defines us? What if he's done something about that? And I think he has. And he says it twice in our reading because it's twice as important. If you read it there in verse uh, 11 and 15. I... Lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. See, a shepherd, a shepherd should be willing to risk his life to stop the wolves. He should be willing to risk his life. But Jesus goes further because Jesus doesn't risk anything. Fulfilling the Father's will is too precious. Jesus doesn't play games and we're too precious to him. Jesus doesn't risk. Jesus deliberately gave his life for the sheep. He jumps in, he throws in, he leaps into the jaws of the wolf deliberately for us, his sheep. Far from it being accidental. Jesus' death is precisely what qualifies him as being good. Not just a shepherd, 
but the good shepherd. By his death, far from exposing his flock to further danger and ravages, his death draws the sheep to himself. Called by name. Nothing can harm who they are in him. For identity is, an, is not a question of who I am. If you think that's what identity is, you'll go to I, you do you, babe, or Jesus' useful narrative. The identity question really is whose am I? Who do I belong to? That's the question. Because you're created and made. Who do I belong to? You belong to the great shepherd. That's who you belong to. And he calls you by name because he notices you and he sees you and he cares for you and he loves you and he's jealous for you. And we belong to him. And that's what gives life. Not inner desires. Him. I'm reading the Exodus at the moment. That great call, let my people go. Let my people go. Why? So they can have their desires? No, so they can worship me. Freedom comes with worshipping God, with being in a relationship with him, and it only comes through the door. That's what gives life. Our identity is not achieved, but it's received. It's given. And because of that, we're free, aren't we? That's what brings freedom. Free to share our faith. Free to love the loveless. Free to love the enemy. And so whether our so-called desires are attained or not, we are called by the shepherd. Fremantle Church, you're called by the shepherd. By name. He knows your church and he knows you. And the more we see that and understand it, the more we see the beauty of the shepherd and the more our desires will want to be in step with the shepherd, the more this church will want to step with him. Because we are more sinful than we ever thought we are and we're more loved and accepted and desired and known in the great shepherd than we could ever believe or hope for. It's better. It's better than all the desires. He's better. His grace is wider. He's more loving. That's who you are. You are called by the shepherd. You're known by him who laid down his life for Fremantle Church, for each one of you. And that's good news. Amen.